What's up, world? Uh, I just, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, you know, I, I don't know. They, 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 insert here. Yo. It's a terrible game. Bottom line. It's terrible in every way. Graphically, it's terrible. Gameplay is terrible. It's just terrible. Oh, angry Nick mad. That game sucked, and it's gonna suck no matter how many revisions they make, and it just sucked even more because they put a connect with it. Oh, angry Nick mad. Or if there's violence, I'll just laugh and enjoy the fun. Kaz Hazari. Hazari. Kaz Harai. 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 They just kind of got tired of Angry Nick on the first one and said, yeah, I'm gonna pass. Oh, yeah, so I do. It's me, precisely. No, no. no. I, I, per- I no. do all my work. No. No, yeah, I'm you guys are so I don't. Cute. Oh, thank you. I try. I mean, let's face it, Mario, and to a lesser extent, Zelda, is what carries Nintendo at this point. Always be radical. I love you, little podcast. You're the bestest thing ever. For the promise of the new Super Smash Brothers and the Zelda game, yes. Will not find a better story presented in any other game genre, in my personal opinion. Like JRPGs have that. They have that story. That's what the entire game felt like. Oh my god, I want to bang my head into a wall. It's a podcast again. Can someone remind me? I thought it was a video game podcast. Yeah, I'm listening to the Game Source Podcast. We're now live. That's right. Hey again, it's Gerald. Third notice, yes, Elvis lives. I'm here today with OSU Water Polo and our awesome, awesome friend of the show, and great guest himself, the man, the myth, the legend, guy who we've interviewed before, and uh, we will interview sometime again in the near future about his great projects, including Nintendo Quest, Missing Mom, and also the Kitty upcoming Kitty documentary, which I know he's going to be dealing with very soon as well. He is Rob McCallum. Wow, that introduction, as usual, too good for maybe the content to follow, but I will try to keep up my end of uh, the bargain here. Thanks, guys, for having me again. Well, we appreciate it. And the ever-positive Aaron, how are you, my friend? I am pretty good. Yourself? (laughs) Uh, Spiffy, as always. I'm looking forward to uh, the end of the month when uh, Nintendo Quest gets starts really starts generating um, as far as it's concerned the the momentum and and going to all the shows all the debuts all the screenings uh, Rob before we delve into game source podcast 121 uh, please let us know and let everybody out there know what they can do as far as being able to catch one of those great upcoming screenings Absolutely. Well, for everybody that doesn't know about Nintendo Quest in general, it's an upcoming, unofficial, unauthorized Nintendo documentary that is starting to hit a theatrical window, and it focuses on a fanatic collector, Jay Bartlett, who crisscrosses across the North American continent in search of all 678 original NTSC retail NES games. But there's a catch. He only has 30 days, has to use his own money, and he can't use the internet in any way. Jay happens to be my best friend, and I get to document his entire journey as well as other icons and legends of the industry about what made the NES and Nintendo uh, such an iconic release to begin with and why it's still popular 30 years later. And clearly it is, otherwise a guy like Jay wouldn't be collecting all these Nintendo tapes as some folks call them. Uh, and the screenings start at the end of this month. As you mentioned, if you are interested in attending a Nintendo Quest screening, just go to NintendoQuest.com, 
click the screening section, you'll see everything that we have in the works. And uh, we're happy to say that we have partnered with Tug, so in the coming weeks you'll be able to request a screening of Nintendo Quest in your hometown. And that uh, screening will go live when X number of tickets pre-sell. The film will play there, uh, and it'll be a nice family community event uh, that isn't necessarily part of the power tour, but uh, at least we can deliver it to you uh, in your hometown. So if you're in Philadelphia, Denver, Miami, wherever you want, somewhere outside the designated stops of the power tour, that is your chance to see Nintendo Quest in your town. NintendoQuest.com, all your details and info. You So in other words, you're going to say you're just going to be an additional, even more a vagabond traveling from city to city. I do not know what the, the meaning of home is. I do not have a place to call my own for the next three months. I will live out a suitcase. Uh, the cameras will be rolling. Uh, and that's the other cool thing about the screenings we got in the works. The, the cameras will be rolling, and we will compile all this stuff for the power tour. That's the, the rolling out of theatrical version, taking the band back on the road, if you will, uh, in the coming months after we're done the theatrical window. And I guess the other big news that, Gerald, that you know, and Aaron as well, um, we have a distribution deal that we can kind of announce. We've we partnered with somebody. The details are still being worked out, and what the exact strategy is, more will come with that in the coming weeks. But uh, it's taking it to the next step beyond our initial plans of just an iTunes, Netflix, digital, what they call VOD or video on demand release. It's going to go much bigger with the distributor that we have on board now, and it's it's on an international level. So literally, the four corners of the globe uh, will have a chance to see Nintendo Quest. Oh, that's awesome, awesome. So everyone, you don't have an excuse anymore. You will be able to get to see one of the best documentaries ever made about the world of gaming, in my humble opinion. <laughs> and, also, and also, I'm sure a lot of you out there as well, you'll you just give it a chance. You're going to enjoy it. You're going to love it. And uh, if you have a chance to go ahead and make that happen, for a Nintendo Quest screening in your area, please, you should do that. Uh, based off the partnership with Tug, if I'm not correct, if I'm not mistaken, correct? Yeah, that's right. They covered 90% of the U.S. They don't have a deal in Canada. Uh, I know the film originated there, and we have a lot of backers there. We are looking to explore other ways of screening it there. Right now, the U.S. though, that's what we're dealing with, and that's honestly where most of the requests have been. So we're uh, we're happy to at least appease that that vocal fan base. Oh, that's awesome. That's great to hear. And uh, well, that's, uh, that's let's let's dive in. I'm excited. I'm really excited. I've had three pots of coffee. Let's go. Let's go. Let's do it. And I'm telling you, I'm so excited as well because we are right around the corner from E3. E3 is something that I've been a part of on a on, on a few occasions. We are sending Chris down there live to be part of the events, and hopefully, he won't get lost. Uh, once again, it's our sixth year of covering it, so we truly feel blessed and appreciative of doing that. But before we get into the E3 particulars, there are some news items and also some great subjects we want to talk about first uh, as far as the Game Source podcast number 121. First off, what we got, Fallout 4. And I know this was a big deal for a lot of people out there that Bethesda did officially finally announce something that many people knew already knew about, and that was the video release of the trailer the teaser trailer for Fallout 4, which is set, uh, well, by all intents and purposes, it looks like to be set in Boston. So uh, my question, guys out there, who's excited for Fallout 4 between you guys? And uh, do you, did you guys get a chance to check out the teaser trailer that was meant for PS4, Xbox One, and PC later this year? 
Aaron, I'll let you dive in first on this one because I definitely have some thoughts. I don't... Fallout just... I know it's an RPG and everybody expects me to do the RPG. It just... I One of those I could never get into. So it was like, yay, they announced it. And that was it for me. <laughs> this, this, just, is, this is what excites me, Aaron, because you're already on the far end of the spectrum from me. I have never played a Fallout game... Jay, who of course is the star of Nintendo Quest, is a Fallout fanatic. He is a massive Fallout 3 fan. Uh, we all know what happened with Fallout New Vegas. There were severe glitches. Of course, that game, I believe, was developed by Obsidian and not Bethesda. Uh, so when Fallout 4 announced and the teaser trailer was in the works and floating around that it's going to happen, it's going to happen, it's going to launch on social media, I started to get excited. Fallout 3, for whatever reason, fell through the cracks for me. It was just in that weird window of where I was doing some other film stuff. This had hit. I didn't know too much about it. It was a bit of a sleeper thing for me. But after talking to Jay, after researching what Fallout has become, and because it's like a first-person RPG, everything essentially that I wanted Destiny to be, I'm really looking forward to Fallout 4, <laughs> and I will be picking up Fallout 3, the Game of the Year edition, in, in anticipation. Well, it, and that's a great cheap shot at, uh, at Destiny there, as far as it's concerned. Um, I was more, I am more personally of an Elder Scrolls uh, uh, individual, even though they both literally will have the same engine and utilize the same engine, and Often share the, the you know the same amount of bugs, um, and with Elder Scrolls Online hitting consoles, hopefully I get a chance to test that out real soon as well. But Fallout 4, you know, with the VAT system and all that, I did get a chance to play the previous Fallout 3, but I could really never sink my teeth into it before. I'm hoping now that it's on on a new gen system that it will be able to be something more that that I I, I don't know it it sold very well. Obviously, the series is very big to the Bethesda library, and so I, I like you said, Rob. You're, you, you know, like, I'm like you that really wants to get into it, uh, but has had a that for other reasons and whatnot have not really, you know, get both toes in the water, so to speak, for any length of time. I'm hoping for better. Uh, I'm well, well. I'm hoping for better uh, opportunity this time around, and and I really. Really, just hope that that uh, it it looks a little bit better than what the presentation showed on the teaser trailer, because I know a lot of people were upset regarding the character models. Um, did you get a chance to to see those character models in detail? I I really like the trailer that they launched and, and what they've done with that. Uh, my hopes, and maybe this is going a little off script from your question, is that because you're an Elder Scrolls fan, another series that I haven't played, but I've been told that it's like it is quintessential McCallum since those are the kind of games I like. So I don't know why I'm not the biggest Bethesda fanboy out there yet. It's just I know I'm going to discover it like 10 years late to the game and I'm going to be raving about something that everybody already knows. Um, I'm hoping that the jump for Fallout 3 to Fallout 4 is equivalent to uh, Oblivion to Skyrim because I hear there was a massive leap between the two. And if, again, I've asked people, well, what should I start with? Should I just start with Skyrim or Oblivion? It's like, no, just just play Skyrim. You'll enjoy that much more. So I'm hoping that there's a similar translation that they've learned, that they want to incorporate different things. Um, and based on the trailer, I'm, I'm pretty excited. I'm pretty excited. And uh, you know, for, me, it's, for me, it's not about the visuals either. I mean, haven't we got to the point that it's more about the gameplay, the story, and everything else? 
Yeah, it's great if it's at 1080p 60. And um, anybody that listens to my podcast, GamerCast, we go on about the tech specs. And yeah, it's great if you can check that box off. But it is, it is the least thing that's going to determine if the game is going to stick around. I mean, look at the visuals of World of Warcraft. It's great that it runs smooth, but that's not like photorealism or, or anything like that, and yet the game is still immensely popular. So as long as the gameplay works, the controls are solid, and you know what it is, that's all that matters. Absolutely. And and you're right, absolutely right. It, the gameplay experience is what counts for many, but I noticed a lot of people were upset because it looks so similar in detail as uh, Fallout 3, which came out uh, many years ago. Um, I believe 2009, I want to say, 8 or 9? Is that well, what, right is the, what, is, what is this prerequisite that things just have to keep getting better and better on a technical level? Wouldn't it be enough that the story keeps going? People want sequels. People want the next thing. But now there's caveats and prerequisites to getting the next thing? Fallout 3, from all my understanding, was a game of the year, and it revolutionized the entire franchise, enough to spawn New Vegas into a multi-million selling title as well, with all its bugs. So why not just give us Fallout 3 a better story? If it's a little glossier, great but give us something that works, that ships well, that doesn't need a patch, that can engross people. I don't want to have to have new graphics for it to be a better game. That's the least of my concerns. Yeah, well, and that's true, and that's true. Like I said, when all, all depends, when it all comes down to it, gameplay is the most important aspect, and, and to a lot of people, since since it did sell very well in its previous iteration, that uh, it, if even if it's just the same thing on a new on a new gen console or slightly better than that, it's still very much very much considered uh, a a, a must play game this holiday season, uh, sure. and truly something to, definitely to to look forward to on that end. Um, also, a game come up this as far as this holiday season is concerned that. I know I'm looking forward to, even though I've already gone through the library, and I know, Aaron, you have not, but uh, the Uncharted collection, the Nathan Drake collection, uh, is available on the PS4, and it will be available this October as far as a remastering of all three Uncharted iterations, and uh, including the, the Uncharted 4 beta will be uh, included with that. Uh, is this something that garners any interest from me, Rob, uh, on any sense? I know, Aaron, we've already talked about Uncharted at length, and I know you're not not the greatest fan of it, even though Uncharted 4 did pique your interest a little bit when we were at PlayStation Experience. Um, the glitch Rob, piqued my interest. <laughs> it did, it did. The uh, glitch, not the game. Oh, I, I think you, you thought it looked good. I remember you, you caught your eye a little bit, but... Uh, no. Have you delved into the Uncharted series at all, Rob? Yeah, I'm actually a big fan of the Uncharted series. I haven't played the first one. I, I do own it. I started with the second and then uh, played the, the third. Um, it's not without its flaws. There are some control mecha mechanics that I'm not a huge fan of, some aiming situations, some run-and-gun scenarios that... Uh, it feels a little set up at times. Like you can tell when you wander into an area and there's certain cover spots. Like, okay, this is going to be a massive firefight. It's the same problems I had with Last of Us, where you would get to a certain part in those games and you know that something's about to happen and it pulls you out of it because now you're playing a game and not really participating in a story. That said, I'm really excited for uh, the Nathan Drake collection to come out. It gives me a reason to go back to play two or three. It gives me a reason to play the first one. Uh, do we know if the Vita game, which is, I believe is a standalone story, is part of that? No, it is not part of it. Um, Golden Abyss. Oh, hey, Nick. Angry Nick has finally joined the podcast. How are you? Hey, how's it going? 
How's it going, Rob? <laughs> Not bad, man. I love the enthusiasm. You got so much energy going. Come on, let's take it up to ten, Nick. Let's go. <laughs> it's uh, it, it's been one of those days today. I got you. Well, let's turn that around with some game talk. That sounds That's good. true, and I appreciate it, Rob. Uh, Uncharted, as far as it's concerned, is not going to include Golden Abyss. Uh, it is listed on the package from the Amazon listing as having just the three and also the teaser trailer that came out for it, um, unfortunately. Maybe that's something like ODST uh, that is being added to the Master Chief Collection and hopefully reached. Um, maybe that's something that will be added at some point in time because I think it could uh, hold up very well on to, if it was bumped up to a PS4 format. Uh, but it is just, you know, all, all three games are still going to be, you know, right. revved up, ready to go. Hopefully, like you said, the the somewhat cumbersome controls of the first game will hopefully be eliminated, and hopefully we can throw a grenade in a correct fashion this time. Sure. Um, Here's the question for you, Gerald, and maybe uh, Aaron or Nick know as well. Is this being sold as a trilogy? Are they going to release them standalone as well? Is it? Do we know the price point on it? Is it sixty bucks for all three? Is it going to be like a hundred? Like, what are we dealing with there? Uh, it is sixty bucks for all three. I've actually uh, uh, considered pre-ordering it already because uh, off the PlayStation Network store, it is uh, just three. Uh, all three, they're not standalone, sold as a package, uh, 60 bucks. Are we um, looking at a collector's edition as well, and does it come with a cool statue of Drake, or is it just the games? <laughs> it's just the games. It's being developed by Bluepoint. They're the ones that are doing the, the port. It's not being done by Naughty Dog. It's being done, obviously, with Naughty Dog's final okay and Sure, blessing. but th this is just like Last of Us, though. I believe it's the same company that remastered Last of Us under the supervision of Naughty Dog. Yes, yes. They're, uh, they're one of those studios that's now more known for doing ports and handling ports, and right now, obviously, the market is very good for them because there's so many games out there that are being bumped up into a, a um, you know, a next-gen format. You know, I'm, I'm still crossing my fingers on a Mass Effect series being moved up, but hopefully that will be a, be announced. Oh, and Josh Peterson is here, one of our new, new staff members. How are you, Josh? Good, how are you? Good, good. You're on the line today with Aaron, OSUR Water Polo, Angry Nick, and also as well, the director of Nintendo Quest, Rob McCallum. This is Josh, everyone. Nice to meet you all. Okay, Josh. Yes, Josh! Hi. Welcome to the party! <laughs> all right. Well, it's great to have everyone here again. Uh, we're discussing Uncharted PS4 and uh, the interest. I know Nick, well, you know, you couldn't really tell by his enthusiasm, but Uncharted is a game near and dear to his heart for my years in knowing him, unfortunately. Uh, but, uh, you know, as much a great a series that that game is, as you can see, it's he's right behind me, so you know how much I love it. Uh, Nick, what are your thoughts on Uncharted as far as coming to the PS4? Well, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm as excited as most anyone. I mean, uh, I can tell! Uh, <laughs> yeah. Looking at, you know, based on my, you know, based on my my experience with watching the gameplay trailers and um, even, you know, my experience uh, with inevitably seeing it at the uh, presented E3, which, of course, was the uh, most exciting component at the end of the conference and probably one of the best ways they could have wrapped it up. So um, I, I'm excited for it. I mean, you know, I, I know that uh, Gerald had, uh, as part of, you know, as part of tonight's topic, had kind of prefaced it by saying that, 
you know, is it is it in essence going to be, you know, like The Last of Us was an absolutely phenomenal game. And, you know, I was, uh, even the remastered edition is something I'd be excited one day to be able to pick up on the PlayStation 4. So um, in terms of being able to have, like, a title like Uncharted 4, you know, being able to, to hit platform finally, uh, you know, on the PlayStation 4 and being able to, uh, to really see, you know, to, an already great game with an absolutely phenomenal storyline to be able to, to hit a platform that can really... Um, that can really utilize the you know its game engine to to bring even more you know to to bring even more great gaming elements to you know that that have already existed historically in the Uncharted series. So uh, you know I, I'm I'm really excited for it. I, I I can't wait for it to come out. Can't wait to play it. Um, I was half tempted to actually pre-order it on uh, Amazon yesterday night. So um, that is definitely a title. Uh, regardless of what the budgets look like towards the end of the year, <laughs> it's definitely a title that I'm looking uh, looking to pick it up. So. Hey Josh, uh, welcome aboard again. Appreciate you have being on with us. Your thoughts on Nathan Drake coming as far as to the PS4, and as we know, this is you know hopefully a great way for people to get introduced uh, audiences unfamiliar with the series to Uncharted before Uncharted 4 comes out. But what are your thoughts on Uncharted to coming to PlayStation 4? Something you're interested in? Uh, yeah, actually, I, I played the, the the first three on PlayStation 3, but sadly, I do not have a PlayStation 4, so I might have to invest when the game comes out. But uh, what I always loved about those games, you don't really notice how long they are. They are really frustrating at parts, but uh, it's like playing through a movie. That's what I love about it, and I think that's what draws a lot of people to it. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm excited about it. I, I, you know, it's gonna cost me a little money to buy a PlayStation when it comes out, but I'm I'm looking forward to it. It's one of my favorite games. Well, hopefully, also as well, the bundle that's similar to what the uh, Ma- Master Chief Collection is now bundled with an Xbox One. Hopefully, they'll do the same uh, for the Uncharted Collection. Um, so at least things are looking okay for the PlayStation come the holiday season with that titles like No Man's Sky and what have you. Um, I know a lot of titles that they were hoping to to be successful didn't materialize for them uh, for the holiday season, but they, they at least they stand a little bit better chance of, of prospering uh, later this year. Um, well, and as far as uh, speaking of prospering later this year, what we have on next in tap, uh, as far as is concerned, we're going to go as far as, well, uh, as far as and I'm looking down in our list of what we were supposed to talk about today, the next thing I have is Splatoon. Splatoon is the major, major, major release for the Wii U, at least of this first part of the year. And Rob, I know you've had a great chance to have uh, a lot of time under the hood with Splatoon. Um, I know the feedback is strong. I know the feedback is good for it. But the bigger question, Rob, do you think it's something that the Nintendo and the Wii U uh, can support itself as far as being something that might be even a console mover by this holiday season. Uh, well, with Nintendo and the Wii U, you know you're only going to get two or three games per year from Nintendo. We know that they don't have a lot of third-party support, but every game that Nintendo releases so far for the Wii U that they at least have their hands in has done incredibly well, and they're always, always good games. Just my opinion. Splatoon is another uh, example of them going after the multiplayer strategy. We saw this implemented with Mario Kart and then followed up by Smash Brothers. Two games that moved a lot of Wii U consoles because it encouraged a lot of replayability with friends and DLC. I mean, look at the Mario Kart DLC. How could you not afford to essentially double the tracks and characters with that? 
and now with all the Smash Brothers DLC characters, the you know vote a character in. Nintendo knows finally what they're doing and how to reach their core audience, even if it is with a limited amount of releases. For Splatoon. I think it's another good step, and it's another good addition to an already awesome roster that Nintendo's released. I don't think it's the big splash out of nowhere. It's a new IP, and I think it's a great job by them. It is a lot of fun, but it's not as deep as I would like to see the game. Uh, the first-player stuff feels like a really tacked-on, uh, let's hope that we can give the player something to do should the network go down. I've had a lot of network issues, everything from paint not appearing to being kicked out of matches to connections being lost to lobbying not syncing up. And we're talking like one of every five matches from the people that I've talked to. This is abnormally irregular, and their experiences do not uh, mirror the amount that I've had problems with the game. What I'm surprised Nintendo didn't do, especially given that's a new IP, is actually name characters in this game. They give you boy or girl squid or inkling. Why wouldn't they name a character and start a brand based on that? That's like super interesting to me, especially when they released Amiibos for both these characters. They could have easily identified a character and spun it off into a solo adventure down the road, or at least DLC that would have supported that. Uh, I think Splatoon's a great addition. It's a lot of fun. It reminds me of Conker's multiplayer back for the N64 where you would battle the teddies and it'd basically be quick one-on-one -on -one matches where you'd basically uh, attack one another. I think everybody that has a Wii U should pick it up. I think if you're looking for that extra reason to get a Wii U on top of Mario Kart and Smash, you've got to do this. Uh, again, just another great addition to what's already out there for the Wii U. Well, and that's what I wanted to know. I mean, cause like I said, a lot of good feedback is the party chat not being there? Is the communication between your team chat, as far as I'm concerned, not being there? Is that too much of a hurdle for some to overcome as far as playing the game? To be honest, I've never played with any of my friends. I've never. I've only played with random people. And it's because the game is so simple. You know what you got to do. There isn't enough space on the existing maps to really have to coordinate too much. It, it's so intuitive in how you approach each level, and every level is different. You've got to pick different weapons and strategy for the levels that are there. For those that don't know, they basically rotate two levels for regular battles and two levels for ranked battles, and they switch, I think, it's every eight hours or so. Um, so you know what you got to prepare for, and the strategy is pretty straightforward within the, in those situations. So the team chat thing, I don't think uh, being gone hurts it, but I think it would help it, but it just works the way it is. It just works really intuitively without dragging it down any more necessary. They have other issues other than team chat that they could add to the game that would improve it leaps and bounds over that one feature, like adding bots, for example. I think bots yeah. would be a great way to play. Fair yeah, um, I think that on the, the team chat thing, it's one of those things that when you come from other games that you expect it to be there, but I think the game actually plays better without it. Um, it's also one of the big reasons I'm liking uh, Heroes of the Storm over League of Legends or Dota is that you just go and you do it. And there is no, oh my god, you need to quit dying, you suck. You know, there, There's no trolling each other. It's just going out and having fun like you did when we were kids. And not all this pressure to be a fake video game pro when you're in Bronze League. You know, it's just, it's fun, and that's what it's, it's highly competitive, good at. But it's fun. You're, yes. you're right. It's highly competitive, make no mistake. It's like Mario Kart. You will get angry at your friends in Smash Brothers, but you don't have that level and that error of professionalism that, like, oh, you're not good enough to play this. Like, it's very, like, it's cool. You know, it's cool if you suck, you'll figure it out. 
And every level yes. you got to figure out who you're playing with anyways, and you kind of figure out what works and what doesn't work. Yeah, and I mean, most of my friends who I would play with, I have them on Skype, and we are on our computers on Skype, even if we're on Xbox Live or the PlayStation Network. With voice chat there, we still do it over Skype because it is so much better than anything in-game. So if I want to talk to my friends, I'm going to talk to my friends over Skype while doing it. I don't want to do it in-game. I don't want to hear the random 12-year-old you know, calling me son and all this other <laughs> crap that happens in, in, in on Xbox Live. And I think it's people who are just anti-Nintendo that are you really harping on that one mom. point of police chat. Yeah, and then you hear his mom in the background. Have you done your homework yet? It's bedtime. <laughs> Time for dinner, Timmy. Yeah, I mean, I'm not saying that it wouldn't be nice to have it in the game. I just don't think it is as necessary as many of the people have said. Um, it's a three-minute pick-up-and-go battle. It's not yeah. an hour-long campaign where you have. It's it's three minutes, and you're always against different opponents. It's usually a different level every other time. It's run and gun. It's three it, minutes. Like, how are you going to strategize in three minutes? Because you're throwing in there, and then you realize what works and what doesn't work. Like, it's just too fast yeah. and fun. Now, might I say this? If it gets more integrated within, let's say, the MLG or competition scheme, would you see that implemented just for that reason? Well, the ranked battles has, like, capture the flag, kind of, you know, protect the zone stuff, so there is a little bit more approach to it rather than just paint the crap out of whatever stage you're in. So, And that's where a lot of people will jump in saying, well, you know, maybe you should be able to kind of chat with this. But in the current format, it's just working the way it is until the game gets deeper and maybe they'll expand the matches to like you know when they do custom matches and you can add bots that's when it's going to get really interesting and that's when I think team support could have a lot of fun like a 10 minute match with bots almost like Perfect Dark did and oh my goodness bring in stat tracking how do you not have stat tracking <laughs> give them a candle some time they're getting this is a big step for them as far as doing something at this level for them as far as they that type of, even close to that type of genre, so getting the particulars all out, I, I, I sense that uh, Splatoon, as it evolves, um, uh, you know, will probably add those features and become more of a natural for them, because, you know, something that we would not even think about if you're playing Call of Duty, or if you're playing Battlefield, or if you're playing pretty much any other FPS, is somewhat new to the concept, probably maybe of the uh, the game designers for for Nintendo when they're making that type of arena game, uh, so to speak. So, um, well, so to speak as well. Going a little bit, uh, deviating a little bit from the game field, we want to go ahead and touch on something that's also near and dear in our, to our hearts, and that is the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Are we jumping ahead? Because okay. I think you're going off script here, Gerald. What's going on here? We had one did topic I, there. Did, did I go off topic? We, we, skipped, oh, we skipped Aaron's yeah. core. Aaron is around for one subject, and you just wrote him off. Uh, it happens like every write, time. It's, I like to write him off every time anyways. So, but anyways. <laughs> uh, and then he wonders RPGs, why you're right, you're right, so right. much fun these. Whatever well, you want to talk about, it's your show. I get it. Aaron's oh, no worries. No, no, no. No, Rob, you're, you're absolutely correct, because then I'll never hear the end of it from Aaron. And then he'll hit me in person later this month when we're all together to do an uh, open podcast just before uh, the screen, which we'll talk about again at the end of the show. Sure. Um, that would be JRPGs. 
And Aaron, uh, well, he's the man, the myth, the legend when it comes to JRPGs for us here at GameSource. And the reason why we say that is because he usually gets a lot of access to, or attempts to get a lot of access to, uh, and plays a lot of JRPGs, whether it's on mobile, uh, whether it's on tablet, whether it's on a console. It doesn't matter. JRPGs, he's truly interested. And one thing I've noticed as of late, when, when both Nick Aaron and I are trying to get JRPG uh, as far as review codes and things of that nature and trying to deal with the various uh, public relations companies is that there's a lot of JRPGs still coming out, but they're all coming out still on the PS3 and Vita formats um, primarily. They've pretty much abandoned the Xbox. They abandoned the Xbox 360, excuse me, a long time ago. They abandoned the Xbox in 2001. Let's yes. not kid ourselves. Well, but the <laughs> Xbox 360 and the, the Xbox 360 they abandoned a long time ago as well. That and well, the Xbox Tales of Vesperia, at least Tales of Vesperia is a standalone exclusive on the 360. Only yes, in America, yeah. it came out in the PS3 in both Europe and Japan. Sure. So only like, here did we get screwed over and have and to buy. That's the only reason I have game. a 360. For the record, I bought a 360 <laughs> just for that game. What about Blue Dragon? Garbage. Final Fantasy. There you go. There you go. But the, what I wanted to ask was the traditional JRPGs, that's not Final Fantasy per se, because, you know, Josh, your thoughts on Final Fantasy are probably like many others, that it is the, the what people think about when it comes to JRPGs. Am I not correct? Yes. Yes. See, to and me, it's not even a JRPG anymore. I concur. But to but to you know the you know Josh or myself or or some Nick or someone else, it still is thought of as a JRPG. So I ask, what I'm going to ask you guys today is, can the traditional JRPG, the one you know the title that comes out with ten different names when it comes over in the West Coast, you know on the to the West, the ones with the you know nonsensical wording and verbiage are still coming only to the PS3 and the Vita, but can they evolve and can they thrive onto a new format on the next There's a lot on the, DS, on the 3DS, too. Let, let, let's yeah. not... That's the first thing I was going to say, with Bravely Second being announced as a huge yeah. hole to, to Bravely Default. But that's not a next-gen... That's not, a, not the 3DS, PS3. 3, 3, 3DS is a current-gen console. It, it has as much of the marketplace as the big three sit-down living room that do. I mean, if let's not more. Ourselves. Yeah, exactly. So it would definitely deserves consider, its place in this conversation. Would you consider Xenoblade Chronicles X a traditional JRPG, or would you consider that some, evolving into something different? And something That's that like have? on the verge It's like a of hybrid. Being, yeah. yeah. You know, it's like Mass Effect. It's not an RPG. It's a, you know, a shooter with RPG elements. Xenoblade is on the verge of not being an RPG and being an RPG, depending on who you are. I mean, if you're an RPG fan, it's not an RPG. If you're a, somebody who doesn't normally play RPGs, then yeah, it's probably the most RPG you're going to get. But it, to me, it is not a JRPG. It's, it's, a, it's a very open-world game with a lot of RPG elements. It's almost, to me, along the lines of something like Saints Row or Grand Theft Auto, that type of game where, you know, you go out and you, you do have to, you know, you can explore the world however you want. Um, well, yeah, there's a storyline you can follow, but it's not just one 
way through the story, and, and that's to me what a JRPG is: is you kind of get handheld the whole way. Well, then let me ask Josh and Nick this: uh, What was the last JRPG that you guys played? Well, I'll start with you, Josh. What was the last game that you played as far as a true what that you thought was a true JRPG? Oh, geez, I don't really get it. I haven't played a lot of them. I played Final Fantasy and. Uh, I played a Xenoblaze, but I can't remember which one it was. That's uh, that's about as much as my experience with JRPGs goes. Yep. And then uh, Nick, what about you? Uh, you know, it, it's hard to say. I, I can't really recall. Um, I mean, other than the Tales of series, um, I, I, you know, I I know that. My last trip to E3, I had I had seen a couple of them that um, that had that had kind of stuck out to me. Uh, uh, none of which, unfortunately, I can I can recall off the top of my head. But in terms of playing them, I, I don't know. It's 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 been a while since I I have played them. I mean, you know, regarding your remark earlier, I kind of have to concur with you know Rob and uh, and, and Aaron though. In terms of you know Final Fantasy, I. I don't know if historically that's ever really presented elements of a of a JRPG necessarily. I mean, at least you know from 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 my playthrough experience. I um, and, and that's you know if you reference to what they're they're the typically what the game elements are presented you know in, in today with with the way uh, with their you know genre classification. I don't know if those were necessarily fall into that category. But yeah, to, to be honest with you, I'm not really sure. It's been, it's been a while since I've since I played one, so I, I don't know that I can really accurately answer that question. Uh, I know that. I know that. Go ahead. Go ahead. We're gonna no, have to get no. you one of the Chemco games soon, then, Nick. So, well, that leads me to my ultimate question: Can the the traditional JRPGs, JRPGs, you know, that that I've seen, that that I've played, that Aaron and and Rob obviously have played? Uh, can they succeed on a PS4 and an Xbox One? Can to, in the West? Obviously sure, they, uh, of course they can. I mean, what we're really talking about is two different things. One, it's an economic thing. They jump in Japan first because that's the bread and mark, you know, bread and butter market for JRPGs, and then they get translated after they're already hit there. And the and the problem is they're translating to the same hardware. They're being localized for a North American market, and because we're still overlapping and really still operating with two different generations you're going to see them come out probably in the next year or so for our current gen stuff when the newer stuff is released in Japan first. So we're always going to be like two years behind. But what we're really talking about, I think, is is something that's considered a niche genre now. Can it thrive during not a popular time for it? First-person shooters aren't as popular, I would say, as they used to be. Fighter games are not as popular as they used to be. Open-world 3D platformers are not as popular as they used to be. Everything is cyclical. It'll come back. JRPGs will find it, its stride again. It's just a matter of what game is going to bridge its hybrid qualities that take it to the next level and put it in the limelight for us to see a global release of something on par with Japan as it drops in North America as well. Because there have been really, really great uh, uh, JRPGs to, that have been introduced and actually sold uh, very strongly. I mean, you guys mentioned Bravely Default as far as it's concerned. That was a very strong Nino Kuni, you know, there were there were several titles, and with Dragon Quest coming out very soon, you know, I, the the impetus is there. The platform is there for the ti these titles to succeed. It's just a question on on whether or not how strongly they'll be promoted on platforms they're not traditionally have not been on. And and I know I I know why 
if that these games are still being marketed mainly when they come to the West for the PS3 and and the Vita and the DS, 3DS, 3DS XL, and whatnot. I, I, Rob, you you hit it on the head as well. Uh, but to, I wanted to see if this is something that's still, you know, in the minds of gamers as far as is concerned. So you know, I think the other thing too, if if it's going to thrive, now is a great time to see if it will thrive on current stuff. With what I would say is still a pretty lackluster library when it comes to options. I mean, we just talked about the Nathan Drake collection getting remastered. Last of Us was remastered. It's great that we're getting all these remaster titles, but how about something new for us to play with instead of something old again? That was going to be polish. my point. Is when we look back at the end of every generation, that's really where RPGs start to shine. Because RPG gamers tend to be a little more of the budget gamers. So they've waited for the system to have a price cut. They wait for the games to be, you know, cheaper. And so, I mean, we saw it at the end of um, the PlayStation 2 era. Especially you saw um, Odin Spear, Grim Grimoire. Um, I mean, there were a good two dozen RPGs that came out after the PS3 launched on the PS2 that were considered, you know, top 50 games for the system because most of the time, once the new system hits, everybody wants the big, explosive, game-of-the-year game, and unfortunately, the programmers just aren't used to the code enough yet that we're really getting those amazing games. I mean, how many games have we seen on current-gen consoles that are amazing? If you if you put out a big-budget RPG and it isn't amazing, you're going to lose your shorts every time. So I think they're, they're smarter putting them out on the 3DS and the PS3. And if they weren't being put out on the Vita, the Vita would be dead. There's nothing but RPGs on the Vita at this point, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Um, but... It's one of those things where it doesn't make sense to put them on next-gen consoles yet. They're still killing it on the current-gen stuff. Um, Axis and Atlas uh, and some of those other companies that do the ports, you know, they're porting games that were the middle of the PS3 uh, life cycle, and we're getting them at the end of ours because it does take some translation and whatnot, like Rob said. But, you know... That's also because the programmers now know what they're doing a lot better than, you know, the the people that made Destiny. And you can see where there are major flaws because they didn't understand the code and what they could do. And and a lot of the the current-gen games feel like last-gen games with slightly prettier graphics. You know, they really aren't that improved. Let's let's ask the other big question. Why do they have to be on a current gen console at exactly. this point when so many RPG fans, which I would say are savvy gamers, I mean we all know the average age of a gamer is in in his or her thirties, they're probably pretty savvy and if they're into RPGs, they have one of the previous gens already and they know what it's like, they know how it plays and they know what to expect. Is yeah. it just a commercial opportunity that they need to exploit? You're not gonna get newer gamers unless they're on the newer consoles, though, that's the problem. But again, how many new gamers do we know that are in their 30s? Who decides in their 30s that they're going to be a new gamer? 
Yeah. But, but also and you're not tailor... going to have a kid playing an RPG. They're not going to sit there and play 100 and not... hours of a game with no boobs or guns. And, 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 and a, kid is, a kid is not going to digest anything with JRP sensibilities. Gross exaggeration, I know, but I just think JRPG is much more an adult content, and that's why it's niche to begin with. Uh, and I agree on that, but Dick, I know you had something you wanted to say. Yeah, but you know, to to tailor on to the rest of that though, why are you gonna why are you going to make a game such as you know The Last of Us remastered? You throw some DLC, you improve the graphics, so you're just rehashing, like Aaron said, a last gen onto a new gen. I mean, what you know, instead of instead of all the production time that went into just you know re-render a game and throw on DLC that you you could have just purchased on the last gen system. Why don't, you, why don't you guys just invest into The Last of Us 2 or, you know, or, or into, you, see the you know, additional details. You know. Well, I just think we see why those remasters are being made. I know during the previous life cycle in the 360 and PS3, all these developers were screaming about uh, the, the free backwards compatibility of many, uh, many a title and that they were screaming about people buying used games. Well, now they have their opportunity in this generation to not have to worry about people buying used games because they're now paying, you know, uh, making people pay for, for backwards compatibility and seeing in, in some cases, not all, some cases that uh, really these remasters are really becoming short-term windfalls. Last of Us is one of the most primary examples. Uh, also, as well, the Tomb Raider. Uh, the Tomb Raider was not, in Square Enix's eyes, a profitable game until it was remastered onto the next-gen systems and sold one million plus copies on there. So that's that. Sometimes, it, for an ultra project, it may be the the ultimate decision and the ultimate barometer between sure, a and I and I will or. Okay, and I'll say I'll say to tap onto that. I didn't play Last of Us until it was remastered because I didn't have anything to play on my PS4, and I didn't have any time to play anything else when it first hit. So that coincided with a nice window of gameplay opportunity for me that I had chance to play something. I wanted to see what it was like, uh, and there was my chance to play it on next gen. Uh, I really didn't care that it was remastered or re-res, but it was a new release, and I could play it on my shiny new hardware. Well, I will. I will say that. Then we'll go ahead into the back into the Marvel Cinematic Universe, uh, which I know Josh primarily is really itching to get that because he's such a Marvel fan. Um, so am I, actually. Um, is that if you <laughs> so do have, if you, more than more than I am, but if you tell anybody out there, if anybody else out there, what they need to get for JRPGs, you can get a PS3. You can get a 3DS XL, but the game the game system I would recommend, not even an Android tablet or iPhone or what have you, right here. I understand that according to Sony, this might be now a thing of the past, but, but I'm telling you. But the ones on that system are nowhere near the quality of the ones on the 3DS. I yes, Freedom Wars is amazing. But beyond Freedom Wars, most of the Vita games are... Akiba's Garbage? Script, uh, yeah. Criminal Girls. Uh, what's well, the, guys, regardless of opinion, Gerald, the one, the one thing, Gerald, you got to say, if you're going to get it on Vita, you should get PlayStation TV then too, right? So you can play because it on your 40 bucks at Best Buy. Get the PlayStation well, TV. Don't even pick up the Vita hardware. 
That's even better. That's even better. But That's the remote play option is kind of cool too, as far as it's concerned. If you if you utilize that option and you have a PS4, sure. But Sony probably just needs to stop uh, making mobile mobile devices. They uh, mobile gaming consoles are uh, they really don't know what they're doing. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Such love for the stuff. Anyway, Some would say the same about Nintendo home consoles. Yet they're going to be here for a while. You know what? <laughs> Nintendo is finally making a profit. So I've bashed them for years, the past couple years, because they did not make the moves that I felt they needed to make as a company. You know what? They're making a profit now, and I'm going to be the first one to pat them on the back for it because they deserve it. You know, they're starting to make the right decisions now about moving into a mobile base. Um, as far as the concern, where everything they're doing is a little bit more calculated than some, including me, would have liked. But they are headed in the right direction. Uh, the NX is coming, you know, may have been announced too early, which might be the undoing of the Wii U ultimately, uh, because people may start looking towards that instead of wanting to buy a Wii U. But ultimately, like I said, they are making a profit, and they do need to be commended for what they're doing right now. So the new 3DS XL launch aside. I know some people had issues with that. They're making a profit and you know what? Flying off the shelf despite that launch. So Yeah. yeah and, and you and I had issues and we were going back and forth about it, about how it was structured, but you know what? More power to them. Um, and the amiibos are just skyrocketing. It was, it was obviously a brilliant plan and, and, and we'll go from there, but that's another issue. Or they can actually listen to your podcast, Rob, as far as more on the amiibos or head down down to Retro City Games here in Las Vegas for the Amiibo contest. Isn't that right? That's right. Uh, Retro City Games is holding an Amiibo contest. You, it's a little too late to submit your Amiibo, but if you go to Retro City Games Facebook, look for their, obviously, Las Vegas location. You can vote on which Amiibos you think are the coolest. So I suggest the Darkwing Duck one. No pressure. <laughs> <laughs> We're not going to mention who made that one, Rob. It may have been me. It may have been me. And, of course, we talk a lot about Amiibos on, on GamerCast, which is available on Podomatic and iTunes. So. Fair enough, fair enough. But you, you wanted to talk about a big movie that is coming out with a small hero, I believe. Well, that's, that's true. And, and, you know, from one filmmaker to, a, to a, obviously a filmmaking uh, juggernaut, Marvel Studios is coming out next month with the highly anticipated, or is it Ant-Man? who's actually going to become a part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh, and Josh, I know superheroes is something you've written about extensively to, to several outlets, as far as is concerned. Um, and my question to you is, so I'm going to start off with you, Josh. Do you think Ant-Man is going to be something that's going to, people are going to be interested in? And is it going, what does it need to do to be considered you know, not an afterthought in the Marvel Cinematic Universe? Well, when I first heard that it was Scott Lang, a lot of people don't know who Scott Lang is. He, you know, he kind of appears in the comic books for in like the West Coast Avengers for a few issues, and then he disappears, and then it becomes like a Jonah Hex. You know, he'll just randomly show up in comic books for a couple of pages, and they'll vanish for years. But he is, correct me if I'm wrong, the second of the third in line Ant Man, correct? Correct. Hank Pym is the original, and um. Yeah, I mean, as long as – I've been curious how they're going to tie it into the uh, overall bigger picture with the uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe. I know they're saying something about Hank Pym being the one of the founders of S.H.I.E.L.D., and uh, I guess uh, 
Aunt, I don't know if you guys have read, but Aunt, uh, Scott Lang is going to appear in the Captain America 3. So I think what um, Marvel's trying to do is just try to build up their roster of heroes for when, you know, the Infinity, uh, Infinity Gauntlet, the, the Avengers 3 comes out and... Uh, yeah, you know, it's it, it'll be interesting. I'm I'm well, I'm. well, Josh, we both know that so many contracts of these actors behind the scenes are are starting to fill up. Like Robert Downey Jr. only has so many left, and they need to transition into the second version of the Avengers. With Ant Man, of course, being a, an Avenger in, in the books, this is a nice introduction to a character who may eventually join that team, and then in one of the bigger, like you're saying, Infinity Gauntlet versions. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. And, uh, okay. Well, well, <laughs> okay. Confirmed. The, Thank you. Well, the Infinity Infinity Gaunt, the Infinity Wars one and two are going to be filmed similar to the way the the Lord of the Rings movies uh, were filmed back to back, and they're going to be um, launched in uh, successive years. I believe 2018 and 2019, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so that you know, obviously, to you know, have that type of sheer mass production, they obviously need to introduce new characters. Um, Rob, your, your opinion on what Ant-Man has to do to, to not become an afterthought, per se. I, I, obviously, the, you know, the, the contractual obligations of many of the stars aside, um, you know, Ant-Man is somewhat something that, that not as many casual audience have understood or even thought of in that realm. Sure, so. but Gerald, we, we visited this last summer with Guardians of the Galaxy, another nobody knew about them. And, I mean, they, of course, have been around for a long time, as is Ant-Man, but in, in terms of, like, the popular heroes, nobody knew about Guardians of the Galaxy. And I get a very similar marketing vibe when I see the Ant-Man trailer to Guardians of the Galaxy. Of course, anybody that's been following Ant-Man knows that it's been in, like, production hell for the last five years, they've gone through director changes, script changes, and uh, even uh, Joss Whedon has come out, out to say that uh, Edgar Wright, who of course directed Scott Pilgrim, his draft, it, it, it's a horrendous crime that it got thrown out for what they're using now. So it's really interesting to hear the director of the first two Avengers movies say that about a character who is going to be possibly part of the Avengers kind of going forward. I don't think Ant-Man has to do anything. I think very small expectations. Uh, it doesn't need. It needs to be a micro-success. I am on purpose using small puns as we talk about Ant-Man. Um, because Marvel already knows what they're doing for the next two decades. It doesn't matter in the big scope of things. It is a comic book mentality. That book will be out there. That character is in the universe. Let's introduce him. People may not discover how cool this character is until three movies down the road, and then they'll go back and see how awesome those movies are beforehand. Nobody thought Iron Man was going to do good when it, when it came out, and it did incredibly well as a result. So I, I think you're going to see similar things. Uh, it's a small hero with the, with a big upside and not much of a, a downside because it's part of something bigger than any one hero, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Nick, yeah, any, any thoughts on that? No, I'm not. I'm not, I can't. I can't give much, you know, uh, input on you're the. You're a DC one. guy. You're a DC guy. Uh, I unfortunately don't follow the uh, the Marvel series as closely as I probably should. However, I am a fan of the Iron Man and the uh, Captain America series, though. So. Right. Fair enough, fair enough. Aaron, I know you and I talked about who our favorite Avenger would be if we were an Avenger, so I know you uh, you would touch up on at least a little bit of the of the universe. So uh, your thoughts on, on Ant-Man and can it become the success that Marvel hopes it is or will be? 
I think Rob is right. As long as it is break even, little bit of money, um, and, and then they can license the toys, which is where they really make their money. Um, oh, sure. I, I think it'll be okay, and they'll keep him around for you know the Avengers and things like that, and then they'll throw him a bone and give him a, a movie every once in a while. Um, but I mean, I'm not the biggest Marvel fan. I've never been to a theater to see any of them. I always wait till they show up on Epics or something. Um, I, I just, you know, I think you've I, just lost credibility from here on out, Aaron. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I'm I'm not a movie fan. I see so like now, one now we have every to wait. Five years. We have to wait like two years for you to chime in to see if Ant Man was correct in your opinion. Hey, I just saw I Guardians of the Galaxy or, like two or weeks or ago. Three, so. if you watch it on FX. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Three with commercials. Yeah, perfect. Yes. The exact cinematic experience Marvel hopes you enjoy it in. Let's be honest, though. Like, uh, Not to dwell on it, if this is the only Ant-Man movie that comes out, that's fine. Marvel has deals with Netflix for other series where that character can appear. Paul Rudd has a hugely busy schedule, so it would be easy just to throw him in, in Daredevil or Iron Fist or, or Luke Cage or some other entity that is on Netflix. Or even if this is just his character introduction so we don't have to spend 10 minutes in an upcoming Avengers film learning his backstory, then that's fine because then we can slide him into something else and the audience is aware who he is. He doesn't have to have his own trilogy. A lot of people say that Iron Man didn't need his own trilogy, but it was too profitable to ignore. So if this is the one and only Ant-Man film, so be it. it. It defied odds that it came to the screen. Now I'll ask you this then. Let's say you were running Marvel Studios and you heard the backlash for, for a little over a month on how Black Widow should have gotten her own mo movie and you know obviously extended... Their, her merchandising branch a lot farther than than what it is in reality. Um, do you think there might be a backlash to Ant-Man because people will want to see or are hoping to see uh, a Black Widow actually ever come to to fruition as far as her own you know movie? Well, who's to say that I'm not running Marvel Studios? Let's let's start with that. Who's to say <laughs> oh. I'm not in charge? Uh, but like I said, here's what it boils down to: they have a plan of attack. It's not like they decide in January, we're going to release a film this summer, and it's going to be Ant-Man. They have a plan of attack, and Black Widow has always been on the, on the fence. I don't think she's a particularly strong character in any of the films that she's in so far. She's necessary. She could have a great backstory. It could be an awesome standalone adventure. But for a character like that, and I've said it about Spider-Man, if they get to work with Spider-Man throw her in a Netflix series so we can actually appreciate that character and let her thrive in a, in a 12 to 13 episode run where we can actually care about her instead of over a two hour hit or miss. Well, we gave the fans what they want. Let us invest in her but so that when she does Agent come to the Carter screen, we was care. probably the best thing that Marvel Cinematic Universe has. I would much rather go. see a, a, sh a weekly show with a much bigger plot than a two hours thrown together well, look how cool Daredevil was, right? Like, imagine taking yeah. the tone of Daredevil and, and showing, even if it's a prequel story of uh, Romanoff, like, that would be hardcore, especially with what we hear that she went through in the first Avengers movie to kind of clear her name and get on the good side. Show me that dark well, version, I, that dark, uh, not gritty, but just edgy. But I, I want to say this as far as her is concerned. She has gotten over, if you use the wrestling vernacular, gotten over to a much bigger audience than, than I believe even Marvel has anticipated. Um, with the female audience that's out there, I mean, I have to use my own girls as the demographic. 
as far as a, a small bite-sized version, but not also her her friends, her they all have spoken at length about wanting to be and wanting to get products and wanting to to hoping for a movie of uh, Natasha Romanoff and and Josh, you being one of the the leading comic book experts that I've ever met, you know, what are your thoughts on expanding her roles? Because you've actually written articles on expanding roles uh, for minorities, for women, and things of that nature within the comic book universe. I think that with a character like Black Widow, it has to, because, I mean, before the Marvel movies came out, nobody went, you know, not a lot of people went to a comic book store saying, hey, do you guys have the new Black Widow comic books? You know, she doesn't really have that exciting of, you know, story arc. So, I mean, if you were to make, like, a Netflix show or a movie, you'd have to be, you know, a lot of new material, and it'd have to, it'd have to be good. It'd have to be handled really well for those people who are, you know, asking for that. Uh, I think Marvel is, you know, as far as, like, the minorities and uh, gender changes go, I think, you know, Marvel's handling it well because eventually comic books start to, the heroes are going to grow stagnant. You're going to need to revamp them with something. And, you know, making the Falcon Captain America or making Thor or Jane Foster, for example, I think, you know, it's it, it could work if handled well. You just, it's, a lot it's, all, it's all about timing. Spoiler like, alert. When, when do they make the <laughs> moves? Well, if you haven't watched it on FX, spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, and I think there's two issues here too, Gerald. I mean, we're talking about do we need a Black Widow movie or do we just need more Black Widow products for the existing stuff that's out there? I think Personally, there's I think, you, I think you need both. I think both, I, but I understand... I think one will lead to the other. If the products sell like everybody is demanding, then it's a no-brainer to do a film. But if you put products out there as part of an Avengers line and they don't sell... Well, then that just saves you $200 million on a movie you don't have to make because, well, sorry, you guys didn't buy the products we put but, out. But they should have brought, they should have introduced more of her or had her more part of the merchandising line come, you know, April, May as the movie was coming out. And, and you know, there was Yeah, they should have. And they have, a, they have a chance to write that for the next stuff that's coming out, whatever she's a part of. If she plays a key role in Civil War, if she plays a key role in uh, Infinity War, if, if she's going to be a part of that, then I say roll out more merchandise with those things. But don't greenlight a film just because there's fan backlash. Studios did everything because fans got upset. It would be a horrible world. Everybody would be waiting for FX to see anything. Well, I was just saying, do you see any type of backlash, you know, levied against Ant-Man for, for not even, uh, you know... No. Uh, I, I, again, I think I think Ant-Man, just because, he, he, again, almost like a new IP into the universe, uh, he's an easy target. Uh, he's a character that's on the fence. People are unsure about it. It's a rocky development for the film. Uh, I, I think he has nothing to do with what's going on with, with Black Widow and anybody that wants to use that as an argument to create controversy or to use the box office numbers that will come out saying, Black Widow would have done better is just playing the fanboy game for no reason. There, there are bigger things happening beyond behind the scenes. There's a lot of people who do that, a lot of people who aren't actual fans of the comic. Sure. Want exactly. There's a lot of people with keyboards that can hide behind their keys clocking away saying whatever they want because they have the chance to do it doesn't mean they should that's like exactly you hide sir you better hide oh <laughs> uh, all right all right Joe well, we, being we, one of the biggest trolls out there uh, no only on you but uh, <laughs> uh, we've, we've taken our trip to the Marvel Cinematic Universe and hopefully come July we will actually get a first-hand look at 
and see exactly the results of, of, well, four of, out of five how of well us. it does. Four out of five of well, us. I, I, all I know is I'm going to be – my girls want to watch it, and, and I want to watch it. It's something that, that we're, we're glad to you know enjoy. The Marvel Cinematic Universe, since Iron Man, has, has really proven to be something that, that's quite entertaining to, to a casual audience that they've been able to, to get a hold of. And uh, I look forward to you know all the movies upcoming in, in that universe. I, th- I think to be uh, sorry, one belabored point on the same topic before we switch. I think the the more interesting question when it comes to superhero movies this summer is, what does Fantastic Four have to do to be favorable and actually spark a franchise in that long gestating film? That's forever. Uh, I know it's not technically part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but we have this film that's been in the, in the works four for two. four years. Yeah, Fantastic Four too. That that's one that I think has more pressure on it than Ant Man. It's not even released. Uh, it already has controversy surrounding it. The changing of the uh, the character's skin color, uh, Johnny Storm and uh, the the dad. Hey, that's freaking awesome, though. Yeah. I, I mean, who cares what the I color of the skin is to Richards. me? I have an issue. I issue with the Reed Richards character being uh, so much younger. Um, and, that was and my the, biggest thing when I saw it. I'm like, he's a baby. Reed Richards has always been. But you know why they're doing mature, that, right? Sure, don't so that they they're, can grow up with him. They're doing a longevity thing, and and there is something interesting, I think, from a writing point of view, to talk, look at the the spark of an innocence of youth genius when you are too smart for your own good, and that's exactly what gets these guys into the trouble that they are. He is not a seasoned veteran. He doesn't know what he's doing. He's just excited by the potential, and it leads to disaster, depending on which way you want to look at things. What I'll take offense with, being my favorite villain, is Doctor Doom is a hacker. There's no Latveria. How do you screw up an iconic villain like Doctor Doom? Make him uh, an iron-plated Skeletor, for Christ's sakes, and then like let him rule from Latveria on his throne, and let him just go about world domination like a great villain should. Well, the movie's supposed to be based more on the Ultimate Fantastic uh, Four comic books. I don't know if you guys read them, but that's kind of how the characters were all like that in that comic book. Again, another controversial decision. But that's and then again, I don't even know if that's going to translate and be relatable to a to a uh, casual audience. Because it will it reach the hardcores? It it most likely, more than likely, will. But the obviously ultimate success of these movies is reaching to a casual audience, not only here in the states, but now more importantly, as as I, I know Rob would would know, the the international market is. Much more so, in fact, it is more important in many ways than the domestic one here in the U.S. So obviously being able to have a movie that actually translates to a larger global audience is obviously the key to, to success. Uh, um, and it used to be 75-25 domestic matter. Now it's 50-50, if not 75-25 the other way. When you look yeah, at you go, Rio is, is the one example... Okay. Yeah, Box Office Mojo is a great site to look at the the domestic first international take. Films like Rio and even James Bond, when they make their premiere outside of the U.S., all it does is generate hype domestically, and that's what kind of sparks more domestic turn. But uh, getting films out there internationally first is what is starting to matter to uh, studios more and more, especially with China relaxing the rules for what content can happen, which is something that video games are starting to explore as well. We're getting to see new video game stuff in there. And I wonder if at E3 we're going to get any kind of behind-the-scenes news on what's happening with the Chinese market for releases. So E3 preview. 
because a lot of games like Halo Online and things of that nature, Call of Duty Online, those games are have been marketed specifically for that that targeted audience, and and obviously trying to reap the benefits from it. And the international audiences for for movies such as Furious Seven or also as well uh, the Avengers now hit the high 60s and even the low 70s as far as the percentage internationally and and a very small amount is actually allocated as far as the revenue from uh, from the domestic fashion so when Nintendo Quest hits a billion dollars worldwide we can expect that most of the money will be coming from the international markets is that not correct I, I would hope so. I mean, it is a uh, international <laughs> theme. It is a story about adventure and a coming-of-age tale with a international brand. Uh, yes, we, we will see. Absolutely, and and we will be there for the not only for the the uh, unveiling here in Las Vegas, which we are truly proud and to be honored to be a part of here, but also hopefully the the Beijing and hopefully. Uh, yeah, there you go. The Hong Kong premiere, the, the Japanese premiere on Nintendo's old headquarters. We will set up a screen and we'll do an outdoor screening of it, just for them. Fair enough. Fair enough, indeed. But, but speaking uh, of E3... But yes. Last but not least, we are going to cover E3. We're going to hit the last uh, few minutes of our podcast hard on E3. So I will go one by one by one with your thoughts First off, gentlemen, and I'm going to start with Nick because he has been silent, unlike him, for quite a while. Mr. Angry Nick, the man in question, the man in detail who takes the mute off his microphone as we speak. If For each one of the major uh, players out there, Nintendo, Sony, and also Xbox, what one thing do you hope to see announced at E3? I mean, in terms of in terms of new games or games that have been previously announced, but hope that there will be more. I'll throw that out to you again, like a fastball. What one thing from each console maker do you want to see at E3? Just one thing, just one. I mean, I, I honestly, I'd like to. I know for Nintendo, I would love to see. Uh, uh, some new uh, some new production details on our development details on Zelda, new Zelda. Um, and hopefully and, that won't be. And hopefully that production won't be a screen that says 2018. So yeah, yeah. yeah I hope. Hopefully not. Um, I know that I am uh, pretty psyched for the division. Um, I know that that's probably going to be available on multi-platform. So, um, and I would say. Hmm. Fallout 4. Well, that, and what about Fallout 4? Because you'll you most likely well, see quite a bit of it at the Bethesda conference. Well, yeah, but I mean, in terms, you know, and again, I know I, I, there's a lot of stuff that's coming out. I know fourth quarter this year that, that's obviously going to be good. I know the Division is a, you know, 2016 release. I, I was just, in terms of games, I, I don't know that if I have really any console-specific I, I, those are just a couple games that I, I have high hopes to see more details on, especially especially the division. Uh, Zelda is obvious an obvious one since I'm a you know an avid Zelda fan. Um, and then uh, you know uh, definitely after even watching some of the cinematics for um, you know Fallout 4, I'm hoping that uh, Bethesda at least in their press conference or at least in some of the initial press conference details, I'm hoping to see 
um, a lot more content related to that, other than some of the gameplay trailer. But um, I mean, those are those are just kind of a couple titles I'm I'm hoping to see interest in. Um, so I I know that kind of sort of answers your question. So hopefully that. Fair enough. No, no, no worries. That, that's a good start. And on that note, Josh, if what are you hoping to see from D3? If one thing gets announced at each each conference, what is that one thing from those console maker conferences that you would like to see? Jeez, oh, um, I would like to see Borderlands Three. That would just that would make my year. And uh, I've been waiting for years, and I don't know if it's ever going to happen, but I hope to see an Alan Wake sequel eventually. Um, as far as Nintendo goes, I, I don't really play a lot of Nintendo. I, I'd like to see something that would make me want to play the Wii U, maybe. And uh, I know Uncharted 4 has already got me wanting to get a PlayStation 4, so probably Borderlands and Alan Wake, if, if possible. I would probably say, you know with the issues with Remedy going back and forth and, and leadership changes, but I, I know that's been on their plate as far as is concerned. I know there was, uh, it did sell well on the 360, but there were some tenuous situations in regard to to the planning stages of a sequel for Alan Wake, but I would suspect that you may be seeing it, hopefully here at E3, but I'm, I, I think it might be a little too soon, but I, I definitely am in agreement with you, and that seeing Nick... Uh, flail away with his flashlight the first time he went through Alan Wake because I know uh, something I will never forget in my lifetime. Uh, Aaron, uh, as far as you're concerned, what would you like to three? Yeah, well, yeah. What would you like to see uh, as far as is concerned from from all three of the beloved? You know, Legend of Dragoon prequel from Sony. Or The Last Guardian, but I mean, I, let's not talk... Oh, you took mine. Um... I'm really not... There's been nothing that was Xbox exclusive that has ever really made me want any announcements for it, so maybe just some sort of uh, new IP that gets me interested in the Xbox. Um, because everything on it that I'm into is either on the, the, you know, the corresponding PlayStation console or PC and almost always better on the other one. Um, and, and the Nintendo... I mean, Xenoblade Chronicles X is already out in Japan, so it's kind of hard to to want anything from that because, in general, we know what the game is going to be. Uh, so and that game looks gorgeous, by the way. I will give it oh, that. Absolutely. That game looks absolutely gorgeous. Uh, probably just more information on um, Bravely Default 2, Fire Emblem If, and uh, Shin Megami Tensei versus Fire Emblem. That, that's, I, I, I'm one of those people, I don't like to look forward to games, announcements at least. I like to be there and be surprised and not get that, oh my god, they didn't show XYZ. This was a waste of my time. You know, I try to be completely chill about it until it shows up and then just be surprised by whatever they show me. And whatever they show me is going to be awesome at all the conferences, all 640 of them that they're having this year. <laughs> and... Um, you know, I try not to have expectations going into them because they've already said, like, Nintendo is not showing the NX. So I'm already looking forward to next year more than this year. Well, 
Which is a good thing, but then again, it leads me back to my point about even announcing the NX or letting the NX, you know, word of the NX escape in the first place. But, um, Rob, I, I, I leave it up to you as far as the cleanup and hit one out of the park. Sure. I think uh, for, for Nintendo, quite simply, it's time for a Metroid game. I wouldn't say that I'm a huge fan of this series, but I would definitely love to explore what they want to come up with since it's been so long since we've had a Metroid entry. Uh, I think that's a no-brainer. Uh, I also just want to see more details. On tablet, that would be sick. Sure, yeah. I, I want to see more details on Mario Maker, and we know that's around the corner, so I just want to know a little bit more about the design capabilities. But seeing a new Metroid game get announced, that's my wish list for Nintendo. Uh, PlayStation 4, someone please announce a port of XCOM 2. I know they've come out and said that it'll be PC exclusive for the time being because they want to be able to do random generating maps uh, and really cater to the modding crowd, but they haven't ruled out a, a current-gen translation at some point. So please, give me XCOM 2. is my favorite game of 2013. I've been a huge XCOM fan my entire life. I need this to live. It is probably the only reason I will set up a Steam account when it does drop uh, later this year, I believe. Uh, as far as Xbox, I have to, you know... Uh, be on the same accord as other people. Give me a reason to buy the system. Give me something that is so interesting and so exclusive to Xbox One that I have to put the money down and make time to play it. And those are two resources that I need answered. Give me a reason to set aside other gaming needs that I have and give me a reason to spend that kind of money on, on something new, something groundbreaking. And that's what I want to see at the C3. Blow uh, me away now that we're in destroyed. You know, Call of Duty exclusive, whatever, isn't going to cut it for me to make me go buy that system. It's no, got it's to gotta be, be something, it's gotta be something big. bigger than Titanfall. It's got to be bigger than Titanfall. Yeah. It's got to be, it's got to be noteworthy. Like, get people excited. Show me. Well, Titanfall, Titanfall Two is going to come out multi-platform. I know that for sure. And and when it comes well, to after X how bad it did on the Xbox, it has to. Yeah, and Xbox, uh, as far as XCOM is concerned, XCOM 2, the original XCOM, when it came out, it sold exceedingly well on the on the PC, but when it translated over finally to, to, to consoles, I know that they were not satisfied, 2K was, with the numbers on consoles, which obviously is part of the reason why they're not... Initially but, announced but that said, they, they, they released two versions of it, so it did well enough for essentially a Game of the Year edition when they re-released it with all the DLC as Enemy Within. They didn't just stick with the download-only version of that stuff. So they, so they, I, There was enough sales to justify a second XCOM physical disc. All I, all I will say is that they, they re, at retail alone, as far as for PC is concerned, they sold close to 3 million copies, which oh, is outstanding sure. for a PC. Comparing PC the numbers, unit. yeah, for sure. Comparing the numbers. But let's not forget some of those units that you're mentioning there, 3 million units, some of those are discounted to $4 on Steam sales and, and, and Humble Bundle. And, 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 you know. and I give you that, you know, because a lot of people like, you know, certain people I know buy, buy games all, you know, a lot primarily at the Steam Summer Sale. No, I, well, it all depends on the game. No, like, it's for, great. I mean, why why wouldn't you buy a great game like XCOM for four dollars? I wish PlayStation would do more of their flash sales that you could do stuff like that. Uh, and I'm sure on the on the console side, the units sold there. Don't don't mention the PlayStation Plus or Xbox Live Gold versions where those games were free for people with those accounts either. So, well, 
Uh, and like I said, it, it, if an XCOM coming to consoles definitely would be, you know, for a lot of gamers, uh, you know, myself included, would be something definitely to look forward to, to indeed. Um, and if for, Xbox but, One annou- announced XCOM 2 exclusives, I would drop money instantly. I would pre-order this second. There you go. There you go, Microsoft. You now know what you need to do. Um, for me, um, I, I know it's hinted to, at earlier, but I think if Sony really wants to give a middle finger to everybody to finally, finally have a release date for The Last Guardian, I think would be the ultimate to see, you know, we told you we're finally going to bring it out. It, would it be a finished product everybody would love? No, I don't think it's going to ever be, meet the expectations that, you know, 9,000 years of wait is going I to I just want to see the picture of it on a disc. I don't actually care to play it anymore. Yeah, I feel like it's, it's, it's become the Chinese democracy of gaming. Remember that follow-up <laughs> album for Guns N' Roses that was, like, forever in development, and then it hit and was like, well, that's great. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but I do, want, I do want to see the next iteration in the Mass Effect universe, hopefully, you know, in detail with some footage. Um, that would be awesome to see in about two weeks to get excited for that because I think the Mass Effect universe is uh, is prime and ready to go. Uh, I think a lot or of that Origin and Uplay are shutting down and just folding into Steam because they're terrible, and as bad as Steam is, they're even worse. There you go. Um, GOG is cool, though, but if anybody gets a chance, GOG is, is really a nice supplement to, to Steam as well. Yeah, GOG is awesome. And they support a lot of films, too, based on video game content, and it's all DRM-free. Yes, yes. So good plug for GOG.com. Give it a chance to check it out if you can. Um, And then last but not least, I, too, want a specific reason to get uh, a Wii U. There's a lot of good things that have put me on the fence, uh, but I need that one little thing. I don't even know what it is myself, per se. Uh, but I need that one game itself to to actually tip me over and to fork it over for Wii U. Uh, because Gerald, think... just do it. I am telling you, Mario 3D World is an excellent game. That should have got you to buy it. Mario Kart, Smash Brothers, Splatoon, think... Donkey Kong Tropical Freeze, Pikmin, Wonderful 101, Xenoblade Chronicles. N64 Virtual Console, possibly GameCube Virtual Console being NES announced. Remix 2. Oh my gosh. There you are more what? games on the Wii U that have sold a million copies than the other two systems combined. Close this window, go on Best Buy or your favorite retailer, book it now, go pick it up before they close tonight, do yourself a favor, welcome to the next level. Best Buy just but I think closed. they also have to announce a price cut. I do think they have to announce a price ah, cut. Ah, hogwash! It's great for the value that it is. It's already the cheapest current-gen console. It's HD graphics. I'm telling you, it is an awesome complimentary More exclusive secondary games, system. free online and play, backwards compatibility, how many everything people bitch storage. about. Storage. Storage. You have to buy storage for it. If you don't have you don't need to buy storage, storage laying around, you have issues anyway. But You'll be I'm fine. just talking as the average consumer that doesn't have a 3 d You're not drive. the average consumer. <laughs> you are game You can't sport. even you act as the average consumer. It's, it's a write-off for you. Get the console. It's a write-off. <laughs> All right, fair enough, fair enough. And on that note, uh, before I go out and get a Wii U... Get the Splatoon uh, edition. Come on. Well... I, 
I'm sure it'll come uh, as far as be available in all markets. You know, as far as it's concerned, you know, the, the Splatoon has been a great hit, and like I said, it it makes a lot of people on the fence, like myself, want to go. I, ahead I, I would actually leave. like to. I, I would like to see you wait to see if they do a Mario Mario Maker edition, because I mean, usually all their big titles they do a that different bundling. That would, and and that who would, knows what that would look like, right? That, could that would cool. put me over the fence. That would put me over the fence. Plus that they bundled with, you know, uh, Mario Kart uh, and Super Smash, like they should have done last year and done a Super Smash bundle. Bundle last year, that would would really be a, a nice uh, a cherry on top. But uh, well, it looks like it's about the end of our podcast, everyone. The uh, the arguments have uh, subsided, and then uh, we've managed to come out of it somewhat unscathed. Um, I want to thank everybody that's been part of the podcast, Aaron, Josh, Nick, uh, and of course Rob as well. Um, you know, I, for for being a part of this podcast. Uh, I know before we go, we got some plugs to make. Um, so I'll start off with uh, Josh because I know Josh. I I I wanted to get your permission, but uh, I know you've got a special project that you just got finished. Outside of all the articles that you do for the site, uh, if you wanted to share that real quick with us. Yes, I wrote a book. It's called Vendetta Dark. It's available now on a. Uh, Do I get a review copy of the book? <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> it's a. Uh, it is my attempt to write a novel, kind of like a comic book, I guess. So it's got a superhero element and a mystery element. But um, yeah, you can pick it up on Amazon, Barnes and Noble. Uh, I think a few other outlets should have it by the end of the week. Uh, absolutely, and, and hopefully, like I said, you and I can sit down on uh, on a future podcast at, at your convenient day and time that we can discuss in detail about the book and, and your hopes for it, and also as well uh, outline as far as how you plan as far as you know more ways for people to get their hands on the book as well. So we want to make sure that that everybody out there gets a chance to know about that. Yeah. Um, Aaron, what you got cooking up as far as it's concerned? You said you got 15,000 reviews that you have to finish. Yeah, I've got uh, Chemco's latest game, Alphidia Genesis 2, for the iPad. Um, Adventures of Pip for PC, and we are looking at getting a Wii U copy. Um, oh, shoot. Uh, Lord of Magna, Made in Heaven, for the 3DS. And then um, I'm still trying to get with a couple of other people to finish up the Heroes of the Storm article. Um, yeah, I think that's it. And then I also have, um, uh, uh, oh shoot, what did he just, um, Earthman Jack, the second book. Um, he just sent me confirmation that we're, we're getting a review copy at uh, Amazing Las Vegas Comic Con. Uh, absolutely, that's awesome to hear because you know I know your interviews with uh, Matthew from last year about his book. Uh, I know he's had a lot of great publicity from the book series as well, and and seeing how it's transpired over the year, like Rob with with his all of his projects, uh, is obviously going to be very fascinating conversation indeed. Uh, Nick, I know you got a couple of uh, projects that you've just finished, which will be uh, presented this week. Tell us, uh, everybody, everybody can look forward to this week. Uh, well, we, we had the uh, pleasure of uh, from Bishop Games to um, uh, get a first look at um, uh, Lightfall. I, I, yes, Lightfall. It, yeah. Yes, Lightfall. 
want to make sure I didn't I transpose that. Um, I, I that I think that was a game that uh, I was actually uh, combing through our PR emails and had the opportunity to be able to uh, to play that. I was actually really excited uh, at the uh, end of the first level. I was like uh, kind of bummed that we didn't get to play a little bit more. Provided I know it was a Kickstarter project, so um, I actually think their funding was it should have been funded as yesterday, I believe. So. Um, I'm definitely looking forward to a lot of great things uh, going forward with that game. So I wrote kind of a synopsis of what our uh, first impressions were going to be for that. And um, though it was a little bit late since its release, I think it was officially October of last year, if I recall correctly, but uh, the Adventure Time game for the PlayStation Vita, um, uh, you know, the uh, I think what appealed to me most when I got to take a glance at that from E3 was... Um, it, it, it possessed a lot of elements from from uh, the uh, Legend of Zelda, and uh, and that that really appealed to me. So that was actually one of the few Vita games that I think uh, was was actually kind of worth picking up. So I had uh, written up a pretty good synopsis or review that we'll be posting on that as well. So um, outside of that, I don't know that I really have any uh, future projects as of in the immediate moment, but that's kind of what we have coming forward this week. Well, I know you, a lot of your emphasis will be on trying to get all the stuff taken care of for Chris on his uh, many interviews. We hope that he will conduct, if he's there on time, if he doesn't manage to get lost in the convention center with all the interviews that, that we're going to try, that you and Aaron are going to line up for him this week, hopefully. Because he's, uh, he's confirmed for, for the two major conferences, Sony and Xbox, and, and uh, we're looking for a lot of great things from him coming a couple weeks from now, correct? Yeah, that's I think our, we've got uh, six interviews that we uh, are trying to work on right now. Okay, fair enough, and I know more to more to come for him. So let's just overload him and, until he uh, dies right there on the, uh, you know, the one of the halls. So that's that's awesome. That would be awesome. Uh, and last but not least, uh, Rob, what you got cooking up? I know your schedule's a little light. These days, you know. <laughs> yeah, there's not too much going on at all. Uh, you mentioned some of my other projects earlier. Of course, I showed a rough cut screening of Missing Mom last night, which is the first time that got out there, which is cool. And I'm going to shoot with uh, Kitty again for another week and a bit in Canada, which will actually, once I'm wrapped up there, lead me back to Las Vegas and L.A. with Jay in tow to the, begin the screenings, the theatrical screenings of Nintendo Quest, and if anybody still wants to grab a ticket to those theatrical kind of once-in-a-lifetime experiences with Jay and I and cameras rolling and everybody seeing it for the first or relatively first time, go to NintendoQuest.com, secure your ticket. It's only like 10 bucks at most of the screenings. It's going to be a lot of fun. You want to be part of this all-gamer audience, but even if you're not a gamer, Nintendo Quest has a lot to offer you. It's literally the journey of a lifetime, and you need to see it. And uh, we at GameSource want to thank you personally and everyone at Retro City Games for allowing us to be a part of it as well. Not only are we doing a live podcast, which if you are there on site, you're more than welcome to jump on in and uh, be a part of it as well. And not only that, you're allowing us to, to stay on and watch the movie and not kicking us out beforehand, And uh, although maybe angry Nick you might. But uh, you know, after that, I, you know, I have the distinct uh, pleasure of being you know, hosting the, the Q&A, which I'm truly humbled and, and truly glad to be a part of and hopefully will not embarrass GameSource to the point uh, of closure the next day. Uh, so I'm, I'm looking forward <laughs> to that as well. But uh, Aaron, at this point in time, Aaron will uh, 
we'll say something smart to to totally put egg on my face. Aaron, no, no, he's no, got, you okay. do that well enough on your own. Okay, fair <laughs> enough, fair enough. Uh, and the yolk's me, on I, you. Exactly, exactly. So it's it's been a great uh, a pleasure to talk to everyone here for the past two hours. It's been a, it's flown right by. I know for me on yourgamesource.com. Uh, I will be uh, doing a review of the Antec X, uh, X1 Xbox One cooler, uh, which I know that they were so kind to send to us, um, and I'll be giving my thoughts on that. Plus, I will be doing a major written E3 preview uh, before the end of the week, so you do want to check that out. Um, I usually do How it every How do you have year. an Xbox One and not a Wii U? Get out of here. Uh, they said, "Hey, they sent it to me. They said, do you want one? They advertised it. They said, can can you review it? We said, sure. It's in here, and it's got uh, a little different differences uh, than the, your dad's old, uh, or, or should I say, our old uh, coolers that we attached onto the PS3 or 360s. Um, is it even needed? I'm going to uh, discuss those issues once." Uh, you know, the review comes out on that. But yes, a major E3 preview as well. So look forward to that this week on yourgamesource.com. Uh, once again, this is Game Source Podcast 121. If you have any questions, please, you know, check us out, yourgamesource.com. Send us a tweet or follow us on Twitter at GameSource. If you like what you see, we've got 400 videos, over 400 videos on our Game Source YouTube page. You check us out there. Like us on our Facebook page, GameSource, where either there or through our Twitter, we are the number one aggregate site for video game news and information. We have posted nearly 40,000 stories in our six years combined. And you actually, when it comes to E3, especially those first couple of days, you will see over 100 different stories all over the Internet about the latest and, ga and greatest in gaming news right there. Right, you know, you will just be able to scroll right through it, and you'll get it all right there from all the leading web sources, and also our thoughts. I know Chris will have his thoughts live from the show floor, and also we will put in our two cents worth as we go along, as the conferences are going as well. So we look forward to that. We do it every year, and we're so blessed to do it as, and be a part of it as well. Uh, and you get a chance, the NDS Club. You've got to like their page on Facebook that gets you all the latest information. NintendoQuest.com and also as well Vendetta Dark on Amazon. You know, there's a lot of great things. If if you truly, truly like what we do, we truly appreciate all your support. And if, even if you are so helpful with all of our production costs, our Twitch page has how, uh, the idea and has also the information on how you can give us a hand as well. And once again, thanks again for everyone for joining us. This is Gerald, better known as Yes Elvis Lives. For Rob McCallum, director of Nintendo Quest, the Kitty Thanks Documentary. Thanks so much for having me. Yes, yes, the Kitty Documentary and Missing Mom, uh, which one? That one is true to my heart as well. That one, that one's a tearjerker. When even when I see the trailer, um, Angry Nick. I, I will let you know just before I let you sign off that people said last night that the film was much better and played out and way different way than they thought than the trailer portrays. So they were kind of blown away by that. Were there a lot, was there a lot of Kleenex passed around? It wasn't quite that audience, but people were kind of, there was a weird silence like after it was done. It was just like, wow. That, and that's, that's when you've captured an audience. That's, 
you're truly to be commended for that. Congratulations on that, and we look forward to 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 Missing Mom, and also as well the Kitty documentary, and of course the upcoming Nintendo Quest as well. Um, for Angry Nick, for Josh Peterson, and for OSU Water Polo, Mr. Aaron himself. Once again, we appreciate you joining us, being a part of the podcast, and thanks for watching. Have yourself a great day. Do you love games, breed games, and bleed games? Then this is the crew for you. If you are interested in editorial, podcasting, live events, and exclusive content, make sure to hit us up at info at yourgamesource.com and become part of a team that is dedicated to delivering all the greatest delays in gaming news and content all here at yourgamesource.com.